0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning and you have just sung from some deep, deep place about the faithfulness of God, let's open it together, okay? Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be. Um, This is episode 9 as we've journeyed through Exodus. We're going to complete... Uh, the Ten Commandments today. That's the plan, okay? So six commandments ahead and uh, a lot to uh, a lot to be... If you need a Bible that uh, you can open and have in front of you, some on the sides of the tech booth, feel free to grab one. If you are a user of the Bible app, please feel free to grab that uh, app, open it up, and uh, you can find our live event, track along with scriptures and sermon notes and uh, other things in there. Um, here we go. I... I want to start just with review, uh, just very, very briefly uh, with review in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start at verse one. We're going to read um, qu- quite a bit here on the front end, but just hang in there with me. Here we go. Uh, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is where we started last week, that God has a declaration for you and I to hear. We don't have the, uh, the, um, we, we don't have the opportunity to miss that God is speaking in this moment. He's very clear. This is what I am saying, okay? And uh, here's what he's saying. Number one, he is the Lord. He has the authority to say these things and to say them specifically to you and to me. It's not a matter of God would just speak it and everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah. Or, oh, okay, maybe. Or, yeah, okay, thanks for the advice. This is the Lord. He says, I am the Lord. I am the, I am your God. And so he has the authority to say what he's going to say. Secondly, um, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's not only the Lord, he's also our liberator, the one who gives us freedom. And so the intent of him speaking these words to us is for us to live free. One of the great lies. Is that people say, oh, well, God, when he speaks to us, when he says things to us, when he gives us commandments, that these things now wrap us up and make us uh, put us in bondage It's just a different kind of bondage. Religious bondage or whatever. Behavioral bondage, whatever. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. God gives you, he gives me these commandments for our joy. And if you hear a different voice, if you've got a different input, if you think something else, I'm telling you, it's a lie. We looked at this last week, Deuteronomy chapter 4. He gives these commandments to bless us and for us to be a blessing uh, in the land. And so he, he, the lawgiver, speaks these words to us. And he does so, so that you and I can live in the freedom that he has purchased for us. Please note, he has already brought them through the Red Sea. He has already brought them out of Egypt. He has um, uh, purchased for them. He has delivered them. And they now have the opportunity to, to live in freedom. Their story, folks, is our story. Their story, the things that they experience. These are the things that we experience. We have a deliverance. And we now have the opportunity to live as the new people of God, because the good news is he not only is making a new person out of each and every one of us, but he is bringing us together as a new people who live like this. So verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am made jealous. God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Those who hate me, but showing steadfast love. And don't miss this. Showing steadfast love to thousands. To those who love me and who keep com- my commandments. And so the idea, one, one more time, is that every person in every generation is responsible for uh, responding to who God is and what he desires for us. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We talked about this last week. This is much broader than just asking God to curse someone, uh, but it is, it is uh, emptying it of its value, uh, misusing it in some way. For the Lord your God will not... Um, uh, uh, hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain remember the sabbath he says verse 8 and uh, to keep it holy six days you shall labor do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath a day of rest to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you your son your daughter male servant your female servant your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates for in six Days The Lord made heaven and earth to see all that is in them. And on the seventh day, he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We build into our lives the rhythm that says, hey, God, we fully recognize that this whole project doesn't depend on me. I can take a day off and the world keeps spinning. The sun came up, sun went down. (laughs) The world is not actually hanging on me. And we build that into Uh, Our lives and that rhythm builds something into our lives. And today we're taking these last six. Okay, so um, these commandments... For our joy, I I just want to note that uh, the, the, if you will, the vertical expression, our duty, um, our our, uh, responsibility, our obedience, and our joy directed toward God now begins to flesh itself out in our relationships with others. And where does he start? Verse um, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So he starts with honoring. So be honoring. This is number, commandment number uh, five here. Um, most of the time when we think about this, so we'll just note this. Uh, most of the time when we think about this, uh, we think about little kids this high who are to honor mom and dad by their obedience. And this is what we teach them. Yes, oh, you should honor and obey your mom and dad. That is the truth. That is the truth. Did all the parents say? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Can I ask a question? Uh, we're going to get to this more in detail in just a moment. But like, who did God give these commands to? Like In this particular context right here, Who's he speaking to? He's bringing the little ones up on the mountain, and be like, "Hey, little ones, come here. come here, come here, come here." Who's he giving it to? Folks our age, whatever our age is. So he's saying, "Be honoring of your father and mother," and he's saying this to adults. That's really critical because we want to wipe that down and kind of uh, uh, shave it down and bring it down to, oh yeah, little one, you should obey. When daddy says you should do this, you should do this. We want to bring it to that point. But the truth is, is that honoring as a posture of the heart applies at all sorts of different stages of our lives. So a little participation here. You ready, kiddos? You can start here. At six years old, let's just pretend you're six if you're not, uh, uh, kiddos in here. At six years old, what does it look like to honor mom and dad? Somebody tell me. Don't be shy. It's only going out on the internet for the entire world to see. Go ahead. Oh, go. Yes. Saying yes, sir, and, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, no. And mom and dad celebrating next to you. Huh? Oh, and saying please and being polite like that. Yeah. Mom or dad ever ask you to pick up your socks or anything else off the floor? You do it. You do it. That's exactly right, because you're six. Yes, yes, let the church say amen, amen. So honoring at six looks like this. What about 16, though? Hey, we kind of hit the brakes there. At 16, it looks like please don't get in a wreck. Please drive responsibly and not like your parents did when they were 16. Amen. Uh, uh, Amen. Please remember to do your homework and to actually turn it in. couple of your teen moms and dads out there like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about at 26? Please call home. And not when you're out of money. Please leave home. Like, get out. (laughs) How about at 56? Because some of you are exactly at that stage. And the honoring mom and dad at 56 takes on a, I'm going to step into a role. They have cared for me my entire life, and now I get the privilege. It is a duty for sure, but a privilege of stepping in to take care of them in this winter season of life. And I just, there are people in here, there were uh, two or three in the first service as well, who are at this stage of their life taking care of parents in their home or very close. And I just say to you, First Timothy 5 is pretty clear about that. You're doing a good job and this is what the Lord wants. Way to go. You are reflecting the gospel to a watching world by willing to being willing to sacrifice yourself and your desires and your ambitions and any number of other things to care for those who have gone before you. Way to go. Honor your mom and dad. And he comes with an incredible promise that it may go well with you um, here um, in in the, in the land. Okay. So, uh, here's how we shook this out. Just two things underneath this. Um, you become, how does it look at every stage? What does it look like to honor your mom and dad? Um, it looks like becoming the kind of person who does what God wants, becoming an honorable person. That's what everybody wants. I mean, every parent I know wants their kids to grow up, uh, to be an honorable person. Nobody Oh yeah, well, I really hope they grow up and be a thief. Now nobody says and they want to grow up and be an honorable person. And so do what God to grow up to do what God wants. And you do that at every stage of life. And secondly, I picked this up for my wife, so she gets full credit on this. To recognize and relate to them based upon who they are and not who you need them to be. I, I, I am standing here at the front. I do not know every situation in which you are living. I do know this. Some of the family strife would go away if we would let them be who they are instead of who I actually need them to be. Because there are times when I can't, the things that I want from them are not things that they are capable of giving me. I, I can't change them. There are parts of them that I cannot change. Doesn't matter how many conversations, doesn't matter how many text messages, how many asks you make, how many times you skip a family event because you're still frustrated at the last family event where they didn't do what. Like, there are things that just simply are not going to change. So I need to learn to recognize and relate to them on the basis of who they are rather than who I need them to be. And, And fundamentally, the question underneath that is: is God, do you believe that God is our creator? And if so, Do you think he messed up when he put you in the family situation in which he did? They may be messed up, but he's the creator. So honor, whatever that looks like, do what God wants. Become an honorable person and recognize them for who they are. Number six, verse uh, 13, you shall not murder. If you have an old King James or one of the oldest translations, it may have you shall not kill. Uh, I want to... Uh, Just broaden that slightly to say uh, that was a good translation in the 1600s. We've learned a lot about the word there uh, since then. And so it would be something along the lines of, you shall not kill unlawfully. Um, And and it is more related to murder, although it's more than that. Uh, This is how one of the commentaries broke it down. It could be murder in cold blood. It could be manslaughter in a fit of rage. It could be negligent homicide because you're looking at your phone instead of driving. It could be recklessness. It could be carelessness. These are all ways that this particular word is used um, here uh, in the Old Testament. You shall not kill unlawfully. But the deal is, is that I could go through my day. Uh, I mean, I get to the end of the day, lay my head down at night. Oh, holy, I did not kill anybody unlawfully today. It's a good day. Well, for some of you, in light of some of the things that you're, but. If restraint is all I think that God is after here, then I'm actually missing everything that God is after here. There is, there is more. Restraint is not the only principle. It, there is more to it than this. And We preach through the Sermon on the Mount. We won't go back through this, but I just point you backwards to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I mean, that's important. Like, not murdering. That's a good thing. I'm telling you, you need to wrestle and deal with the root causes of your anger. And if you get to that level right there, murder won't be a problem. So, restraint is not the only principle. There is a a breadth of this and an expression to this that is much, much, much broader and much deeper um, in our lives. Secondly, uh, under this, what we need to remember is that every one of us, every person that you encounter is God. And they are designed. God Knit them together to promote, to be a part of, and to promote human flourishing. There's something about our life on the earth that God wants to, for all of us, every person here to flourish. There may be times where because of uh, who a person is or what they have done, they need to be completely set aside from all of society to protect all the rest of the images of God who who are walking the earth. That may be absolutely true. Uh, we're, We're not here for that moment. We're not here for that conversation. We're not here for that situational ethic. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter who you encounter. It doesn't matter how you encounter them or what state they are in in that moment. Every single person is made in the image of God and they are designed for human flourishing. And so the question is, how are we helping that process? For for some of you uh, who work in um, certain areas of our our society, restraining evil is actually helping that process. So kudos to you. Thank, Thank you for stepping into very, very difficult places. For, for a lot of us, though, um, it, it looks like, what, what can I do to be a blessing to my neighbor? How can I help them uh, live as God wants them to live? Okay, and the fundamental question under this is, is God just? Is he really just? Do I think that he can take care of the things that he needs to take care of? If I don't, then what will I do? I will take vengeance in my own hands. And if, and if uh, I mean, it's Hatfields McCoy all over again. If, if... Um, I, I am harmed in some way, and then I take vengeance and do harm. What's going to happen? They're going to take vengeance and do harm too, and what are we in? We're in this terrible, terrible spiral that will uh, send us down to a pretty bad place when it's all said and done. Commandment number seven. It's in verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, because there are little ears in the room, I, I will um, kind of speak more uh, in more broad terms. I would say it this way, just to be committed, be committed, uh, healthy sexuality. And this took a while for me. I, I had some bad programming growing up. I don't know if any of you had bad programming growing up. I had some bad programming. Healthy sexuality is both gifted and enjoyed in this context. What context of a committed covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. Healthy sexuality is gifted. It is a gift. It's never claimed. It's gifted and enjoyed. Inside of this context, inside of that circle, what is that circle? That circle, the the boundaries of that circle are a covenant, uh, a commitment between a husband and a wife. In our day and in our age, there's all sorts of confusion about what is marriage, what is not marriage, about who should and who should not get married. I'm going to tell you um, that the Bible is, is not confused about these things. The Bible is clear about these things. Uh, Marriage is for one woman to be married to one man for a lifetime. The two of them enjoy one another and they gift to one another their sexuality. And anything outside of that right there, anything that gets added in or anything outside of that is outside of what God designed, uh, what God designed now. Again, in our day and in our age, there are cultural winds, there are cultural pressures, there are things that show up on TV that say differently, there are things that show up in your inbox that say differently, there are conversations that happen around your office and any number of other places that, that say differently. But here's the thing, any substitute for that, <clears throat> any substitute for that uh, ends up being a poor substitute at best and, and most likely has devastating consequences, particularly even deadly consequences for relationships, for humanity, humans specifically. The the fundamental question underneath that, I think, in our day and in our age is this. Is God right? Is he right? Some of us, because of our programming, whatever it may be, or the experiences that we've had, some of us think, uh, well, God's like the thing that we associate with this particular area is that God's mad. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. or I can't believe that you did that. Whatever. Listen, uh, there is some frustration on God's part. Don't don't get it wrong here. Th- the main thing is God is right. And that's what you need to hear. He he has a way that he has designed things. And when we step out of that design and introduce other things, either into uh, that or uh, step out on that. It, it it's a poor substitute at best, at best. Most of the time has destructive, uh, destruct, destructive consequences that go along with it. Be committed. One man, one woman, husband, wife, covenant relationship. And the gift then is given and enjoyed in that particular context. Verse 15, you shall not steal. To say more positively, to be upright. Now, um, there are various uh, expressions and perpetrators when it comes to uh, the violation of this commandment. Let me just give you again. Somebody uh, this week, um, I was doing some study on this. Uh, somebody in a commentary listed out uh, several ways uh, that, this specifically, uh, that, that this word is used specifically. Let me just rattle them off. Burglary. Robbery. I didn't even know most of this was different, but here we go. Burglary, robbery, larceny, hijacking, kidnapping, shoplifting, pickpocketing, embezzlement, extortion, and racketeering. You're welcome you know, you've got all of that wrapped up in this one particular commandment, you shouldn't steal. In other words, to be upright. Again, the the, the stealing has many expressions. We just went through this whole list. Burglary, robbery, larceny, hijacking, kidnapping, shoplifting, pickpocketing, embezzlement, extortion, and racketeering. It has many expressions, but it also has many perpetrators. It also has many perpetrators. Uh, this is true of employers. And employees, it's true on kind of societal structure levels as well as small business levels. So let's just walk through that. On the employee, uh, on the employee side, um, it, when you uh, are facebooking during paid time or uh, goofing off during paid time, you're stealing from your employer. When you pad uh, the um, expense account or uh, the expense report uh, or the per diem, you know becomes a little bit more than just per diem. Uh, to you, you're stealing. Okay, and so uh, you, there are ways that employees s- uh, steal from their employers. There are ways that employers steal from their employees too. And I'll just give you an example. Uh, you're in a, a team setting, and uh, there's five of you, and the company comes along and goes, oh, "You know, our revenue is pretty bad right now, uh, so we've had to let Joe go." Poor Joe, But we're counting on you to pick up some of his slack. Now, are they going to pay you for that slack? Dope? do they pay you for that slack? No, they don't pay you for that slack. They... They think you should do both jobs in the one for the one salary. And all of a sudden, their revenue is through the roof. Why? Because they were paying five people. Now they're only paying four. And look, they're still producing, right? They're expecting now 60 hours of you instead of the normal 40 or whatever it is in your situation that you work. They don't worry about overtime. They don't worry about comp time. They just say, oh, this is temporary. Those of you in corporate life, come on. You know how this goes. So employers steal from employees as well. It's not as if it's uh, just one or the other. It's true in societal structures and as well as small businesses. Societal structures, credit card companies. You go from 17.99%, which is its own issue, um, up to like 29.99% when you miss that one payment. And by the way, they're sending credit card applications to college kids who don't have jobs. listen. It's not only unwise, it's wrong. It's wrong. Because now those college kids are paying, uh, you know, 7% on their student loans and 30% on their credit card. That's wrong. Uh, um, Insurance companies who are built in denial. I mean, they they build it in to their... We could keep going. But but also um in, in small businesses, not just big corporation, you know, kind of societal structure. Small business. I'll give you an example. You go down not I don't think you have to go very far down this way, down five twenty eight. Um you can certainly drive down basically any street around here, and they, they have these little stores that are payday loans. Uh, you know, three days from now I get my paycheck, but man, I gotta bill this due today. They're gonna cut off my electricity. So what do I do? I go in there and I get a loan. They're happy to give you a loan for your paycheck. And, but when you look at the uh, annual percentage rate, it's like 800% or something like that. But, folks, that's, that's thieving. That is stealing. That is robbery. And so, man, I, I just like, let's recognize that this has many expressions. Because what do we think, we think, oh, I shouldn't take gum from the uh, place right by the cash register. Yes, you should not do that. That is true. But this is much broader. And, and, it, and it, uh, the the justice that God wants in society um, on, on this scale, it has many expressions, many perpetrators. He wants a justice that is different uh, than that. So, uh, I, again, a book I was reading, I just thought this was a great little phrase here, so I'm putting it out there. Uh, pastorally speaking, the, the, the guy who wrote the book, he was saying, "Hey, wh- where do you take this pastorally? Just remind your people, and I love this, to stay out of the weasel zone. Weasel zone over here." Living an upright life. Over here, I committed a felony and they've impaneled a grand jury. Weasel zone is right here. Between upright and felony is the weasel zone. And what he said was, remind your people to stay out of that. So my people, stay out of there, okay? Don't end up there. Because that eats away and eats away and all of a sudden one little thing becomes another little thing becomes another little thing and then you're in wrong. Nobody laughed. <laughs> Stay out of the weasel zone. Secondly, and I, again, I think this is what's fundamental and underneath this. Do I trust God's provision for me as well as you? If I'm trying to steal from you, then what I think is God shouldn't have given you that. If I'm If I'm stealing for me, for my sake, then I think, oh, God's not taking care of me. Do I trust God's provision for you and for others? Got to move on here. Here we go. You ready? Uh, Verse 16, no, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uniquely, uh, he's put this in a legal context because uh, a false witness in a court at that time could lead to somebody's execution. So you want to be very, very, very truthful about this. Um, Here's the deal. We live in an age where we get stories. We don't always get facts. Folks, the stories cannot be more important than the truth. The stories that we tell and the stories that we tell ourselves cannot be more important than the truth. Uh, George Orwell is famous for saying this. Let's put it up there on the screen so you can say it out loud. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. We are living in a time where stories may or may not conform with actual facts on the grounds. So uh, it, it is true in politics, it's true in economics, it's true in the church, it's true everywhere. Let's just, let's be people who are so committed to the God of the truth that um, we we get to live that out. We get to live, if you will, um, as revolutionaries. Uh, A reminder here, there are always consequences to deceit, whether they be small or large, whether it's a bald-faced lie or a little white lie, there are always consequences to deceit. And church family, listen to me. There is no person that you lie to more often than the one who was staring at you while you brushed your teeth this morning in the mirror. The single person that you lie to the most is you. And it could go two ways. Well, I don't think God's really like that for me. I don't think I'm that loved. I I mean, you you can go that way or you can go with, it's probably not that big of a deal. This won't hurt that one time. There (laughs) There is nobody you lie to more. Uh, than yourself. I want to put a little bit more pastoral um, application here just quickly. For those of you who participate in social media I just want to encourage you, please be careful in what you post lest you become a violator of the ninth commandment (laughs) be truthful in the things that you say online Um, because there, believe it or not there are things that people say online that aren't true shocking, yeah? Devastating! can't believe that. Um, a, a report came out, it's been trickling out for two or three weeks now, but a report came out just recently uh, about Facebook and specifically uh, how the algorithm works um, for Christians in America. So if you're not familiar, Facebook has an algorithm. They start guessing as to what you want to see, and the more you have it on your screen, the more you look at it, if you like it, if you click on it, if you share it, whatever, that that feeds into their loop of how they understand who you are, and it, they'll put more stuff like that. Here's the problem, is that 19 out of the 20 loudest voices on Facebook that claim to be Christian are run by troll farms in Kosovo and Macedonia. That broke this week. So I want to you're not sure what a troll farm is. It's a bunch of guys in backwards hats and probably pajama pants. I don't know. I've never actually seen one that are, that are data mining you and trying to spread disinformation or misinformation or just plain outright lies um, to you through that. And this is what they do. And so 19 out of the 20 largest Christian influences on Facebook are run by people who are not Christians. From a foreign country. This is from Jeff Allen, who used to be a senior data scientist um, in Facebook. He's now a reporter. And I just, I'm saying this to say, please be careful, okay? Please be careful. Let's be people of the truth. Our platform, speaking of Facebook, has given the largest voice in the Christian American community to a handful of bad actors. These troll farms, um, who, based on their social media practices, have never been to church. Church family, we have the truth. God has spoken clearly in his word. We don't need influences from places like that to understand what the truth is. Let's be careful. Let's be careful. That is my plea with you. Just be careful about what you say, what you type, what you share. Let's be, let's be careful. Let's be people of the truth. Number 10. Verse 17: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male servant, his female servant, or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is about being content. Number 10, uh, commandment number 10: Being content. Do not covet. It is more than wanting uh, what we don't have. It is also wanting uh, what you have. It is it is wanting um, what someone else has, and I am not willing to pay the price to obtain it. So you've worked hard for something, coveting says, I want what you have, I'm not going to work that hard to get like that. Perfect example of this is going on just down the hall right now. You have given birth to some profound sinners. (laughs) They are in violation of the Ten commandment, I guarantee you, right this second, you walk down here, go left where the colorful hallway is, You'll see some little ones down there, this tall, running around. There's a toy, I guarantee, somewhere in, that, in any of those rooms, there's a toy that's on the floor. You know what's uninteresting? Well, excuse me, you know what's true about that toy? It is thoroughly uninteresting. But if I pick that toy up, now all of a sudden David wants that toy. Only because I'm holding it. So there's two year olds down the hall who are violating the Ten Commandment. Shame on them. They should have better parents than. Oh, excuse me. What's the reality? The toy laying on the floor is just a toy. When somebody picks it up, you're like, hey, I want that. I'm not willing to walk over there and pick up a toy that's like it. I just want it because you have it. This is what coveting is. And it is a, and I I love that it's number 10 because what it is, it is a clarifier for us that this is not about following a rule, it is about what's going on in here. The coveting happens inside of us long before it has expression outside of us so he says uh, don't covet your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife male servant female servant his ox his donkey anything that's your neighbor just be content here's the thing though contentment has to be learned paul in philippians chapter 4 i've learned to be content suburbanites that is difficult for suburbanites to learn because everything about our world is about our safety and our comfort. Those two things prioritize suburbia. And so safety is one thing. Comfort, though. And what is comfortable to me is the newest, the latest, the shiniest, the fastest. Coveting. It is a problem in our hearts. It is a level of desire that has to be Worked on, and the, the antidote for that is is contentment. And the fundamental question underneath it is: Is God really good? So here's here's where we finished last week. Here's where I want to finish this week. What we figure out when we hear these commandments, what we figure out is number one, we cannot keep them. We fail on the regular. If I were to uh, trace you around this week, look at your internet history this week, whatever. What would I see? We fail to keep these commandments. God is not the only God. We've made idols. Uh, We've misused his thing. We don't take time to rest. We've got thievery and we've got um, lying. We've got any number of other things. We do not keep these commandments. Number two, we desperately need forgiveness. Desperately need forgiveness for these things. Thirdly, we need them written somewhere other than just on a piece of paper. Just on a stone stone tablet. We need them written somewhere else. Because I look at this and I go, you shall not murder. Eh, I didn't kill anybody unlawfully today, even though I drove on the freeway. Amen, I'm going to bed a righteous man. That is not, that is not all that God intends. We need them written somewhere other than on a stone. Jeremiah 31 says, God will come to us and write them. In this new covenant, in this new relationship that we have with Him. he will come and he will write these on our hearts, which is exactly where we need them. And lastly, we need a power outside of ourselves to live them out. We cannot do this on our own. I can't marshal enough strength. I can't be disciplined enough in my own life. I, can't, I, have, I, need, something, I need something to come into my life. And so this is the truth is that Jesus has done this for us. Church family, he, you figure out he came and lived the life that we could not live. We couldn't do it. He did. He came and died so that you and I could experience forgiveness. And he takes up residence in us so that those laws are written on our hearts. And so that we have power to live them out. He died um, for those who dishonored his father. He died for those um, who, uh, uh, who were a covetous people he died for an adulterous church he died between two thieves he died praying for those who actually murdered him we could keep going he died for sin in order that you and i could be forgiven and have a new kind of life so if you're not a christian in here if you're watching online you're not a follower of jesus i want to invite you to give your life to him today no matter what is in your past i know that he will step into your world in this moment and forgive you he will and he will give you a new kind of life. If you are a Christian in here, maybe one of these things has really landed on you. And you think, boy, this is where the business needs to happen this week. Well, get to the business then. Set some things before him. Put some things in place. Say some things out loud. So that his work can begin in you and come out of you through a kind of life that looks like what he has described here. This is about this story of Exodus. Exodus is our story. It is a story of deliverance and the new people of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the opportunity to hear from your word now. And um, I simply pray that uh, what, what will go down in the next few moments is the kind of um, pressing down of your truth upon our lives. Uh, we've heard words We've heard your truth. We've heard commandments. We've heard application. We've heard explanation. What we need, though, is for your Holy Spirit to take it and to push it down in the places where it needs to get pushed down. So um, please go to work. And every person who's in the room right now, every person who's watching online, would you please work in our lives so that we not only have experienced this deliverance, but we live as this new people of God. We are changed, transformed. For some of us, it, it will require some tearing of some things. It, it will require some. You, you will need to flip some tables in our lives. So be it. For, for some of us, you will need to bring some healing to some places. Lord, let it be. Every individual is unique. Every individual has their own challenges. Please be at work now in every individual. That's what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.